Welcome to It's Pronounced Podcast with Alicia and Sandy. We are your weekly-ish dose of what's happening in the world, in our lives, and frankly, whatever else pops up in our heads. We are best friends in real life, and now you are our friends too. So here's how this works. Every week, we come together and review what's happening in the week. We deep dive into a specific topic, and then we close out by talking about things that each of us are unpacking. Every third episode, we introduce a third to the podcast through an interview. And along the way, our goal is just to have as much fun and great conversations as possible. We're so excited that you're here, that you're listening, and we can't wait to see what comes out in this episode. Let's get going. What's good, fam? Welcome back with us. We have come back from a week hiatus, right, Sanky? Oh, yes. Yes, ma'am. We did just come back from a whole week of not recording anything new, but I hope that during that time you actually caught up on some other episodes because, y'all, we have like a whole library for you to choose from, truly. Like, I don't want to hear from nobody, no, oh my gosh, like, I didn't know that you talked about this when we talked about it three months ago, okay? Like, I need you to keep up. Well, you know what? I'm going to pause you right there, Sangay, because- Three months ago doesn't even make sense. We aren't aren't even at the three-month mark. You're absolutely right. And we won't be at the three-month mark until next episode. Then we will have hit three months. But you know what I think is dope, though, even though we're not at that three-month mark? Should we say it? I don't know. No, because we just shared it. I was like, share what? I don't know. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, so we shared on our socials last week um, in lieu of having a new episode. We were like, yo, y'all, we like can't hold this in any longer. Like, this is really exciting for us. We just reached over 1500 plays on our episodes. That is insane. That's so, it is so dope. It's dope. It's so, I like, I'm, I'm at a loss for words because I'm like, how did, you mean to tell me people came to this page and clicked play over 1500 times mm-hmm. and not only that they did it you know one time but that means that y'all kept coming back and you're exactly. still coming back and that's like wild to me we're just here to say thank you as we're just doing this journey together it's been so much fun but it's been more fun for me personally because i know that y'all are actually listening <laughs> just like that's super dope I'm really excited for where we are, but I'm more excited for where we will go because I, y'all like, you just wait until you see what we have coming up for you in the next few months. Like, I think we're going to have some really cool stuff coming out. And by, I think, I mean, I know because like, I'm planning it because (laughs) we're doing it. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show you how far something can go and how like impactful something can be when you have like the passion behind it, like the right people behind it. And so this has been like a really fun project to do with you. So thank you, Sangay. And then also shout out to the peeps for listening. You, we couldn't do this without y'all. And thank you, Alicia. You know what we say? You got to hype them up to help them out. And I think like that's our duo. That's our pair right here is like you do the hyping. I do the helping. We have a vision, a shared vision. We act on it and then it happens. And this is it, folks. This is what happens when uh we work together. If you want to hire us, uh, you can hire us as independent contractors for your project needs. <laughs> I really do. I do love a spreadsheet. So like if you actually need something, let me <laughs> Anyway, why don't you go ahead and fill us in on your week? Tell us like how you've been in your week off and then in this week yeah. that we're coming back to. 
Um, yeah. So this week was like super relaxing um, or this past week was super relaxing because, you know, work was on vacation. So I was able to just like put my computer away and um, it was, ah, but also Sangay, like it was really sad, disappointing, frustrating, right? Because I was planning on going to New York to see my sister and my sister-in-law and hang out with them for Thanksgiving. But one of their friends got COVID and was at their place and was like, yikes, um, I just got tested positive and this is what happened. So my sister called me up and she's like, yo, like uh, to be safe, like you probably shouldn't come over. Luckily, you know, they got tested negative and everything, but that meant me staying in San Francisco by myself for Thanksgiving, which- Yeah, which was, I know for you, hella frustrating because you're like, you could have just gone with me Listen, <laughs> Thanksgiving. Y'all, Monday when Alicia told me, I was like, if you had literally found out last night, I would have, you would have been on like coming with me to San Diego with my family. Exactly. No questions asked. Like Exactly. But I mean, it was good because I was able to like, you know, stay in San Francisco and be able to like, I don't know, reset, right? Like just to like feel, um, feel comfortable in my like new surroundings as well as like cook for myself um as and just kind of chill which I needed I need like a good reset because I was feeling kind of burnt out from work um and then I did something new which is very uncharacteristic of me which is like online shopping which sounds so dumb no but for the people who are listening like they have to understand that like you don't do online shopping like period like you don't you, you don't need shopping really period like you are the queen of how we say a shared closet like we yeah. were literally talking about this the other day about how we should all share clothing more often because it's good for the environment it's good for your wallet and it's good for the fashion yes I don't know that felt like really nice to like get something like at your doorstep again which I know sounds very very common to people who actually do this all the time but for me I was like oh this is cool this is nice like this has a name on it nice (laughs) yeah that was a that was my week what about you Sangay? what were you up to um let's see so obviously was not working last week, which was nice. I spent that week with my family, always refreshing. I love being with my siblings. I love when we're all in the same space. Like my soul sings when we're all together. And so, and I don't, I know that I don't always like express it when I'm around them. So when they're listening, they're gonna be like, what do you mean your soul sings? But like, but truly I. And to you being like, oh my God, like I love them so much. My soul sings pans to you at the actual Thanksgiving table. And you're just like, so they're like, (laughs) no but I like I love being around my siblings individually and I love when we all are around each other it's as the kids would say a movie or a vibe if you will but that was great um obviously I got to see my nephews and my niece and they're just the sweetest like I was texting Alicia live updates as it was going on just like some really sweet moments that we got to share and I loved that. Um, And then we, oh, (laughs) also, (laughs) I'm laughing really hard because this is like a part of my week, but it's like so stupid. So for the last month, no, no, you're going to, you'll understand why in like 2.5 seconds. For the last month, I have thought that I had an ear infection. Okay. Yo, I love your vulnerability. Keep going. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Because it was like a central part of like last week was trying to understand why my ears hurt so much. Um, I have my oldest sister is a nurse practitioner who's married to a doctor, right? So like for me, that's where I'm going for my medical care, obviously. Who better to take care of you than your family? So my ear has been hurting and I had been convinced I had an ear infection as a full grown adult. Didn't know why, but I was like, I got an ear infection. It hurts like no other. That's what it is. It checked out the boxes. Absolutely. Absolutely. It did. And so I was convinced. So we get there and my sister's like, okay, well, like, let me get a scope in your ear and see what's going on. Like, we'll take a look. Okay. And I was like, sounds good. Take a look in my ear. Why did you, <laughs> why was she like, first of all, I can't even tell if you have an ear infection because I can't see your eardrum because there's so much wax buildup. And I was like, I, and this is coming from somebody who I think I'm cleaning my ears regularly and I'm using like a cotton swab as I've been taught to do, right? Like you get the cotton swab, you get in there. Well, you may or may not know this folks, but when you do that, it actually pushes the eardrum further, not the eardrum, the earwax further into your ear canal, which is bad. Okay. Cause then it's not coming out. In fact, it's going further in, it's getting worse and worse. So imagine me doing this for years of my life thinking like, oh, my, my ears are getting clean. My ears are getting clean. When in reality, I'm just pushing it further and further in. So it, imp- it became impacted, which basically just means it got all stuck together in like right on top of my eardrum. No, tell me why my ears are like hurting now. Thinking, as you're, like, as you're describing it. it. I'm like, oh, maybe that's my issues now, but I know it. I don't feel that feeling. I don't think. So wait, so did they, what did they have to do? Okay, so first we tried just flushing it with water, which you can go to any clinic, like a walk-in clinic, and they have like a little thing that they squirt in your ear. It feels weird because it's like they're literally projecting yeah. a stream of water down your canal. Ugh. And what that's supposed to do is push the earwax out, right? As they push water in, it oh, displaces okay. the wax and it comes out. They tried that, but the wax that I had was hard. It wasn't soft, so it wasn't moving. So what we had to do, and you can buy these over the counter, but uh, there's something called Debrox, which is like an earwax softener. We like had to drop it in my ear, soften the wax, and then go back in. And this was like over a three-day period of time. Then they had to go back in and then do a final flush. But now my eardrum is completely clean. I can hear again. (laughs) That's now you all know this TMI about me and my ears. That but that's not you. even the highlight of my week, okay? The, the highlight real is. highlight of my week in my neighborhood on my bike ride this week. That's why that day was such a good day. The sun was shining and I went on this like beautiful bike ride, like exploring the neighborhood, seeing what was around. <laughs> and I learned that there is this place called Black Girls Greenhouse in West Oakland. And it has a coffee shop inside and they have a community space and it's all black woman run. And so anyway, I went there and, and I'm just in love. I'm just obsessed. It's perfect. Um, what I really, what I liked on first glance was like, wow, there's a, there's a space dedicated to people who are like me, people who like coffee and who like plants and who like to be around other black women. And that's in my no. neighborhood. So I was like super pumped about that. And just surrounded by plants and like you could order coffee. They're playing India Ari, which I really love. They also sold candles and books and plant holders. And then you can rent out the space for community events. So you can host events there. So basically I'm in love. Um, And when things are open again, 
I'm I'm gonna like just live there when things are open again. I that love it. That sounds like so much fun. I can't wait to go with you when everything opens again. You're gonna love it. Yeah. All in all, it's been a it's been a week and I'm feeling really good today right now. Yes. Yeah. I love oh, I love it when you feel good. I mean, obviously, right? Like, but I don't know. You when you feel good, I feel good. So yo, and when you feel good, I feel good. It's a transit of property. property. <laughs> just doing a proof over here just to... i know sincerely well speaking of transitive property i guess this should be our transition hey i'm getting like so good at this yeah we are <laughs> this will be the transition into our break so we'll catch you when we get all right y'all so welcome back from our break um as you know we're in segment two we're gonna we're gonna dive in oh i'm about to die And this week's topic is, it's a heavy one. I'm going to open with saying that. Um, yeah, I feel that. And yeah, like the, I, I don't think there's any way around acknowledging that. And so just to acknowledge that at the forefront, it's going to be heavy. And I would encourage you to take breaks as you're listening to this. But before we get too far into it, let me tell you how we got here. So Alicia and I were sitting down a couple of weeks ago, planning out all of our episodes and Obviously, it's the holiday season. So we're like, oh, like we'll be coming back from Thanksgiving and it's almost Christmas and Hanukkah and New Year's. And like, we should do something that talks about like dealing with the holidays. Yeah. And then it just made sense. It it was timely. Okay. We thought everyone could at least have some connection. This year is weird. Holidays look weird this year. Family time. What is that? Like, so we wanted to explore that a little bit. Um, And as we're thinking more about that, we're like, well, you know, generosity plays a really big role. You know, we just had Giving Tuesday. We know that um, during Thanksgiving, there's a huge emphasis on showing gratitude. When we think about Christmas, we think of like gift giving as a form of generosity. And that got us talking a little bit more about like, what does generosity look like? Or even just giving in general, what can that Mm. look like beyond just money? Okay. And thinking of like, you know, like I may not always be in a place of excess where I can give financially to people and organizations, but what's another way that I can be generous? Um, and so we started thinking about love languages or thinking of like quality time, right? Or acts of service. Those are ways that you can give to somebody without necessarily having to spend money. Um, or you can give of yourself in the form of like a skill that you have that somebody else may not have. Um, and so that made me think then after, you know, going through this whole thought process, I was sitting at home watching this documentary um, with Isaac because somebody who's a member of our small group had mentioned to us that he has a very small role because again, we're having a conversation, a larger conversation around generosity. And he shared with us that one way that he was giving of his time was through prison ministry. And we were like, oh, tell us more about prison ministry in the context of the church. What does that look like? I have my own ideas of what it Mm -hmm. looks like. Um, But I wanted to know from his perspective, what what his experience was like. And he told us about this documentary called Cue Ball. Now Cue Ball is available on Netflix. It just came out in 2019. So it's it's pretty new on the scene. Um, And it's a documentary that follows a group of inmates at Um, San Quentin prison, which is in California. I think they said it's about 20 miles north of San Francisco. Um, And so 
in this documentary, we learn a little bit more about the lives of these incarcerated men. And we also learn about their involvement with a basketball team. That's where the ball comes into play in the title here. So basically I watched it and I felt a lot of feelings and immediately texted Alicia and was like, I need you to watch this documentary because we need to talk about it. Like, I need you, whatever you do this week, I don't care what else you need to watch. This <laughs> needs to be top of your watch list this week because I, I just knew that uh, I wanted to be in dialogue with you about it. Yeah. And I, and from my perspective, like I knew that it was something that was like a really important documentary to watch for Sangay and me, because she knows how much I don't watch TV. And so for her to be like, you need to watch this show. And then I'm like, okay, whatever. She's like, no, like I'm being dead ass. Like you need to watch this show. And I'm like, okay, fine. Like I will. Like, <laughs> and so, but I'm, I'm happy I did. So I'm, I'm very like eager to jump into this as well as like kind of fired up. Um, yeah. yeah. So tell us, how are you entering into this? You, you know, you're fired up, you're eager, but give us more on like your, I have my own feelings towards prison documentaries, prison shows in general. Like I feel yeah. like they can be quite exploitative. And so I tend to not watch them. And the only reason that I watched this one was because um, my friend, as I mentioned, John told me about it. Otherwise I wouldn't have watched it. So I'm curious to know, like what's your, your general feeling towards um, these sort of shows? Yeah. So my relationship is like very interesting slash complicated, right? So on one hand, um, my father was a police officer for 20 years. And with all of that, like my, my father is, you know, a retiree of the Arizona police department, which um, Arizona is very infamous for some of the like facilities that they have there. Um, and so like we're talking tent city, um, for instance. And so I grew up learning all about that system, like being very confused about like why, for instance, in Intent City, when it was a thing, you know, why people were wearing like pink underwear and like why people like were intense in the first place. Right. And so um, that's one thing. And then on the other side of the spectrum is that I have a lot of family members who are currently incarcerated or formerly incarcerated. Like, um, so for example, um, one of my cousins is still in prison in Arizona. Um, I have another cousin that got out um, a few years ago um, who is in like the population of people who was like unable to vote because of it, right? Um, my uncle was in prison in Florence, Arizona for a while and then got deported to Mexico. And so entering into like any conversation about prison, about like I don't know, incarceration in general, like brings up a lot of like, dang, like I know both sides of this like conversation or I'm aware of both sides of this conversation. And I agree, Sangay, that a lot of documentaries come in um, in an exploitative fashion and they really want to like paint a certain picture, usually in a negative way about um, inmates and about like that experience um, and then just about, you know, the prison system in general. And so I was like, okay, here we go again. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to say that I felt different feelings going into this documentary. So I'm excited to talk with you about it. But um, yeah, I, I guess for listeners, right, if you're, if you're the type of person that's like, oh, I want to follow along into this conversation, feel free to pause it now, go ahead and watch the documentary and like see what we're talking about. Or if you're just like eager to see what we think about certain things about the the documentary and then want to watch it after do your thing but this is a kind of go at your own pace because it is a, a very heavy topic so thanks mm -hmm. for for joining us mm -hmm. 
And I will say this, like you, you talked a little bit about your history um, and experience with the, the prison system. And I, I don't have, I mean, I've had cousins who have been incarcerated, um, but I've been, I've always been very far removed from that as in like mm. my parents did not keep me front and center for that. Like they saw it happening and they were like, look away type of thing. Um, and use that almost more of a model as like, this is what you should not do. Yeah. Um, and so that's that. And then also in um, high school, I remember I took this class called law in society and it was supposed to be a class for upperclassmen. Somehow I got into it as like a freshman or sophomore. So I was the youngest one in the class and the, we took a field trip to the prison in Milwaukee downtown oh, uh, to like, to like really see inside. Yeah. Um, and what was unique about this prison is that it actually, it's in the center of downtown and it literally looks like an office building. So if you're walking past yeah. it on the street, you wouldn't see it. Like you, you would pass by. You wouldn't and know. know. Yeah. And it's nearby the courthouse and all that. So like its location is intentional, but it was wild to me. I remember thinking at the time, like, how have I lived in this city my whole life and didn't know that this is here? Mm-hmm. Obviously I was younger, right? Like, it's not like I was driving by there every day. Like I had to work nearby, but I, I think about how many people for whom that's true. Like they're walking past this building to go to work or to go like have lunch with someone. And they're like, not even aware of what's happening behind the walls. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, it was interesting. Like we literally took a tour through and I thought that that experience is like weird, right? Because we're, we, the outside world are walking through and looking at incarcerated members of our community, almost as if they're members, as if they're animals in a zoo. And that's weird. That's sus. It was a very yes. eye-opening experience, but like not the, not the way that I think it should have been done. Yeah. Which I think the documentary does a good job of not doing Um like, yes, it's like focusing on like certain inmates and stuff, but it was in a beautiful way. Let me just say. Just the most beautiful storytelling I've seen in a while. So uh, that being said, I think we should jump into it and and also want to take the time to thank John, not only for sharing initially about your experience with our group, but then also for being so willing to send in some to talk with Alicia and I about your experience further. Um, Cause we, after watching, wanted to follow up with John. Like we had questions we needed to know. So um, you'll hear John's voice interjected throughout our time um, in this space. And, and he'll share a little bit from his perspective there as well. Hey, what's going on you guys? Uh, just thankful that you guys have me here on this podcast. Just thank for the opportunity share a little bit about my experience with uh, prison ministry uh, through basketball. So I guess we'll jump right in. So that being said, let's jump into chapter one um, of this documentary. Chapter one is called Ballin' at the Q. Okay. Now this chapter is (laughs) all centered around basketball itself. And I like that, right? I like that it opens up and it's not like, yeah, we know we're at a prison and yeah, we know we're like focusing on inmates, but the focus in chapter one is not on the inmates, nor what they did, nor who they are, right? It's about them as basketball players. And I think that's important to set the scene, to set like the experience as an audience member. But that's like so important, right? Because like you just shared like, oh, it's not about like who they are, which it really is. Like, this is like who they are. They're basketball players. Like, this is like their love. Like, this is like a professional situation. And, and what I loved about this is that like, 
in a lot of prison documentaries that I've seen, or, you know, just shows that pop up, you know, on TV is that people lead with like what, um, what their charges mm-hmm. versus this one where I was like, Oh, I love this dude. Like, this is my guy because Yo, X, Y, Z, who, like, who's your, who's your favorite player? In terms of favorite player, my boy Black. That is yes! my guy. That is my <laughs> dude right there. Yo. And then I love Raphael. So Raphael is the coach. The joy had... of basketball, dude. Yeah. So good. Just so much respect. And so we're we're already getting excited just about the people, but let's set a little bit of context. So I took a few notes just on like how this came to be at San Quentin. Um, and John kind of shares a little bit about that too been very special to me the game of basketball and it has brought me all over the world you know pay for college and you know I'm just thankful for the opportunities I've had through it uh so it started in 2000 I believe 11 was was my first time you know playing basketball as any kind of outreach uh there was this guy uh out of Silicon Valley his name is Bill Epling and my cousin was involved with him and they were doing uh prison or not prison ministry excuse me but uh basketball ministry in the philippines uh basketball in the philippines is it's crazy it's crazy i, I can only uh try to explain how much of fanatics the people are you know, they know every American basketball player, his stats, his jersey number, high school he went to, college, um, everything, everything. So they're, they're basketball crazy. So so fast forward to, I think it was, might have been 2016, 2017, I'm, my basketball career is over. And I'm back here working in the States. And, I, you know, I play basketball here and there to stay in shape. So I, I emailed Bill about were they doing any more of these trips to the Philippines? He informed me that they weren't, but he had this thing going on that they've been doing for a while, playing uh, prison ministry up at San Quentin. And without hesitation, I was like, man, sign me up. And it was on from there. So about San Quentin, it actually used to be a maximum security prison. um, And they used to use medieval like torture methods on the prisoners, which I thought was like, I'm sorry. So Lieutenant Sam Robinson shares that he likes that now San Quentin can do things a little bit differently and focus on the rehabilitative aspect of prison. And he really focuses on this idea of reclaiming the man. And I loved that. Like the moment I heard that, I was like, this is good. This is good. You're doing good work. He goes on to name, you know, there are a bunch of different ways that rehabilitation can look like in prisons. Most people are likely familiar with like group, right? It's like group therapy Mm -hmm. or maybe like an art program or like a computer program. But uh, Lieutenant Sam Robinson shares that the most, the biggest program for them is the basketball program. And that's the highlight for most of the inmates um, at San Quentin. And so then we're introduced to, oh, go ahead. No. And I I just really loved seeing like all of the different versions of the sports programs that were there. Like for me, I was like, oh, yo, I was hyped. There's a baseball team. They also have like a running club and then jumping into um, the basketball program. Mm-hmm. And so we learn about the San Quentin Warriors. And this is the basketball team that re- represents the elite 
of the ballers in prison, okay? The top of the top, the upper echelon, if you will. So this is an opportunity for these guys to redeem themselves, right? Like many of these men could have had the opportunity to go pro or even, or play in college and unfortunately had circumstances that worked against them. So for them, this is a great chance to prove themselves, not only to the people on, you know, that they're surrounded by, but most importantly to themselves to say like, Mm -hmm. I I do in fact have it. Like it wasn't just a dream. I could have done it and I'm still doing it. So being a member of the San Quentin Warriors matters a lot. And what I liked about chapter one, um, like I mentioned earlier, is that it really just focuses on the prowess of the players. It gives like a player profile. I loved that, like the way that that was cut where you, yes. you kind of have like montages of the guys like walking on the court and like talking to people and it's giving like a player profile. We're introduced to Harry ATL Smith, AKA the Phenom, and we get his height, we get his weight. And they're talking, like, I loved this scene because they're not, they're talking about him like literally, like this guy is 245, 250 pounds of solid mass and he's tall like he could have gone pro what I loved about this is that like the player profile yes because this is something that you would see on like ESPN sports center like shit that I would watch right yes but what I loved is that all the commentary that you just said where people were offering you know what this you know personality or this player profile information is that this stuff was also coming from like other inmates like yes. all of the information is coming from these old dudes on the sidelines that are like yo okay let's talk heads. about <laughs> they're like okay harry atl smith we got 245 <laughs> i was like yes like i don't want to hear nobody else's voice except for the people who are invested in this which are the other inmates themselves i love that shit and they added so much color too right because they're talking about like yeah he's a good player and here are his shortcomings and i love they were just so yes. honest and they're like yes. harry's issue I think they compared him to LeBron because they're like, he likes to play by himself. He's the star of the team and he needs to learn how to be a team player. And they were like, that could really be his downfall this season. And I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't know I was watching sports center. I did not. And I, cause I don't watch sports like that. Yo, my endorphins shot all the way up. Cause I was like invested in this development. I was like, yeah, you know, right. He's a hothead. I could tell by the way he, I was like, Oh, you see the way he carries himself. So good. So good. Then we're introduced to Rafael Cuevas. As Alicia mentioned, he's the head coach of the San Quentin Warriors. Now, Rafael actually used to play on the team before transitioning into the coaching role. He so said he's he been was, around. Quote, he said, quote, he was groomed for the role. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, you were, Rafael. Yeah, you were. Because he's so good at it. He's so good. Oh my yes. gosh. Y'all, when you watch this, please, when you watch this, I need you to like tweet with us or like text us and tell Live, us that you're yes. watching it. Because I need to know your thoughts and, and if we're like super far off base or if like you're actually feeling similarly. So Rafael, he has my heart. One thing that he said that really captured me, he said, basketball is a way to embrace guys who are very far removed from growth. And that was when I was like, you got me. Because he's talking about how many guys in prison may not want to go to a self-help group. Mm -hmm. And he looked at basketball as an opportunity to really like pull them in further to the fold. Because you got, and I think in his words, he says, you got a lot of guys who are like, man, I'm not going to go to no group, but I'll come play some basketball with you. And that's huge. That's huge. And that's where John's talking about here, right? He mentions that there are people from all different walks of life coming together on the court and they're just talking about life and they have these moments where they can share openly, right? Really trying to lift one another up. And that's something that I think Raphael has been very 
explicit in trying to build. So how a typical Saturday went there, you know, we would play from nine to about 12. And, you know, we play two quarters and then at halftime we, you know, have prayer and as well as a testimony time. And we share, you know, some of the obstacles that we were dealing with, you know, outside and in, you know, from both sides. So what I really liked about the first chapter is that they were highlighting the importance and the necessity of having real rehabilitative programs. Thank you. Um, at in prisons, because I do think that you're right. Like there are just as we were educators, right? There are different ways that people who are in distress, people who experience trauma, people who are in difficult situations need to figure shit out. And that's not always going to be like, Hey, let's sit around and talk about it in a circle. Mm -hmm. Like, and some people need to get out their frustration, need to feel like they're a part of something bigger. And that's such a beautiful thing because a lot of people entering into this program have already had experience being on a basketball team themselves or have had experience just like playing the game and loving it. And that's what I thought was super beautiful because it's highlighting for them because you get so much, you, you feel like so much love for these people, like, and you are hyping them up and you're like, that's my favorite player. Like, this is the person I want to learn about more throughout this documentary before you even know about like the things that they did to get in there. Right. When I tell you, I was rooting for these guys from the, from the moment that I start seeing them on the court. I'm like, yeah. I don't, I don't know anything about you, but I want you to succeed in life. Again, when I say Raphael has my heart, because he really is more than a game to him. And that is, is huge, right? Like he is not looking at these guys just as what they can offer to the team. That's great if they win the big prize at the end of the basketball season for them is that they get to play against staff for the Golden State Warriors. So it's, it's really not just prison basketball. Like that's really important to know. It is a big deal to be selected to play on this team. And, but for Raphael, it's that. And more importantly, perhaps most importantly to him, he's invested in the men who are on this team. He wants to see real growth from them. He wants to see them doing well. And, and he genuinely cares about his players. Um, there's one quote that I wrote down that came towards the end of chapter one that I, I thought was so fitting because this is where we start to see the team interacting with the outside world. And um, we learn from a spectator the importance of outside teams coming to San Quentin to play with these guys. And he says, basketball is universal. Basketball is a bridge between worlds, a bridge between people who never see or talk to each other. When you have someone who really cares about you, you'll probably start caring about yourself a little bit too. And I thought that was important because it helped to paint a picture of the state of mind that some of these men might be in before mm -hmm. getting involved with this basketball ministry. And as it should be, right? Like, and what I love about this documentary is that it it's humanizing this experience for them because a lot of things that I've seen are stripping that identity far from the inmate, like uh, other documentaries that like focus on prison. And so I was the same way. I was like team Raphael. I'm about to get his name tattooed on my back. Like that's my <laughs> guy. Like and then jumping into the second chapter, right? Like the second chapter is titled, Do the Crime, Do the Time, right? Mm -hmm. Something like that. Mm -hmm. And so yep, that's the name of it. Yeah. And so then you lean, like it leads off with Raphael telling you why he got in there. And so I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm already team Raphael, right? I'm sitting there. I'm waiting. I'm like, all right, let's go. You can't do no wrong. And I'm like, okay, you know, 
So you made a couple mistakes. Okay. So we'll come back from them. (laughs) Exactly. But he straight up says, you know, I was walking around ready to kill somebody before I actually killed someone. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, beautiful editing, right? Because then there was like a pause after where I also took pause and I was like, oh, so this dude like murdered somebody like, got it. You know what I mean? Like, like you get so hype for me. Like I got so hype. And then I'm like, oh, like I'm having to bring myself back into reality where I'm like, this is the system. Like this dude like killed somebody and I'm still hype about you, but then now I'm going to learn about all of these things. Right. And so- yeah. It's almost like you have to like, I, I found myself doing like a check It's like, oh, like a heart check, almost like, oh, do I still feel the same way that I felt mm-hmm. about you in chapter one? And yeah. then I think that like through learning about this, I was like, yeah, actually I do. And that, exactly. that for me, um, it raised some questions about mm-hmm. some other people who we learn about later. Um, and as we're hearing Raphael's story unfold and, you know, we're getting the scene and, and understanding a little bit more what happened. My next thought, my first insensitive thought was when we're introduced to the, the mother of the the man who Raphael murdered was like, that woman probably voted for Trump. That's like the very first thought that I had um, just off bat. Of course, obviously sorry and mourning for the loss of her son. But as you learn more from her, as we hear more from her throughout this documentary, I think that you all will start to realize why I thought that when I first saw her on screen. Yeah. And it's important to note that like the, the crime that Raphael is in prison for is famous situation that happened. And so, you know, when it pans over to the mother of the deceased, right? Like it, um, yes, it's like very humanizing in the experience. Like nobody wants to lose their son like that. Nobody wants to lose their child like that. Um, but I find, I found myself feeling anger too when she's like describing um describing Raphael I guess right and so part of that right is like I just got so hyped for this dude I just like was like yeah I'm like team Raphael but at the same time the things that she's saying about the ability of somebody to rehabilitate or the ability of somebody to enter back into society after prison really struck me based off of like how I was entering into this conversation in the first place, right? Where I'm like, you do know that the statistics are that like 90% of people go back into, (laughs) into like, into civilian life, quote, unquote. And so like, are you saying that nobody can go from prison to next door to you? I don't like, which is, which is happening already, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like, why, why not give somebody a chance in order to change themselves in order to like, I don't know. She just like was very deficit mindset, which I I get it. Like I get where she's coming from too, but it was, it was just really hard for me to separate those things. So for me being like having some sympathy for her, but then also being like, man, but you're saying a lot of wrong things about people who I love, like who are in my family. Do you know what I mean? Her making that comment, I believe the comment that she made was, yeah, I do believe that people can be rehabilitated and I think that they can then stay in prison. And I thought to myself, then you don't, you, you don't believe in rehabilitation and you should just say that instead of saying, yeah, I do believe in rehabilitation and I believe that they should get these opportunities in prison. What was it? What was it? Because at that point it's, 
because at that point you're you're just seeking revenge yeah that's what it is you're hurt because of the loss of your son understandably so yes and you're seeking to hurt somebody else because of what they did to you yeah and i it reminds me of um i just recently went to um it's called the justice monologues that's Mm -hmm. j-u-s-t-u-s justice monologues through modus theater and it's somebody who is sharing their experience of like why they entered into prison um and they like write kind of like a spoken word piece on it and this one monologist um his name's daniel guillory he said um like an oak tree in a concrete world it's alive but it's not growing Mm -hmm. and so when she made that comment about like, oh yeah, like I believe in rehabilitation, but like you need, you just need to stay in prison. Like I just thought back to that quote and I was like, yeah, like you're, you're giving something life, but like, it's, it's not going to grow in the environment that you're giving it, which is prison. And we all know that like, that's just not an ideal environment for anybody. Like, like not being able to see potentially sunshine in some cases, like I'm thinking about some some places in Arizona, right? Like not being able to like see outside people and just like the importance of this documentary and highlighting some of the efforts that are being made in places, not perfect, right? And, you know, there are some statistics that show like that this stuff is helping, but at the same time, it's just like frustrating for me to hear that you could say one thing and just shit on the other, do you know? Yeah, yeah. And thinking of like the prison environment in this chapter, um, we witness a fight in the the prison mm-hmm. yard. And it's during the scene where Raphael is sharing like kind of what, what drove him a little bit more and like what was his driving factor to commit the crime that he did. Like he talks about like constantly living in fear and like that leading to him reacting in the way that he did. He then shares like, he had grown to be comfortable in prison because he knew the people around him. And for him, it was all about having rules, right? And so he's like, I know that I'm doing what's right. People around me know that I'm doing the right thing. So people don't mess with me. And I don't fear for my life or my safety because I know I'm doing the right thing and the people around me do as well. Hmm. He then says with these new people coming in that he was beginning to fear for his safety and for that of the men on his team because it was people who had just come to San Quentin they didn't know the run of the land, right? Like the they, prison they just, politics, yeah. They didn't know how things went there. And so he was genuinely concerned because he's like, they could they could literally lash out at me or one of my guys for no reason. Mm-hmm. And and that's scary to him. And and I just think of like, that's not the kind of life that I want anyone to live, regardless of where they are. You shouldn't be living in fear. So I'm thinking of of this this woman and like her thoughts on, well, he can just stay in prison. How is that helping? Like you said, how is that helping him grow? How is that helping him develop? How is that helping him take the skills that he's learned through this rehabilitation and actually apply them in the mm-hmm. real world? Like he, he's not going to have that opportunity. Yeah. Like this was such an interesting chapter, right? Because it was, it was really talking like it's laying it out. It's laying out like what people did. And it's like, um, you hear it from the inmates themselves. Like you hear one, you hear about what they did from themselves, which I think is really important. Um, Like it's not something that's like a text on a screen where you have to like Mm -hmm. read and like assume like this person's like sharing what they did, the amount of time that they're there, 
you know, one person shares that they have 102 years to life, which, you know, it like that doesn't make logical sense. Right. And so. Well, I'm, th- I'm, yeah, because oh. I, I, with that sentence, I'm like, that, that literally makes no sense that yeah. you're okay. So if you live to 102 years old, you still have to stay here until you please stop it. And obviously we know it's because they're stacking charges on top of one another, but that still makes no sense. And we yeah. can do better. Another person shares about uh, the reason that they're in there. This is black shares about um, why he's in there, his sentence. Um, and it's largely in part, it is, I'm not going to say largely, it's because of the three strikes law that was on the books, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. That's something that um, I think when I was younger, I actually was like, yeah, that makes sense. Because like, you know, if you do something over and over and over, like we've given you many chances, right? You should learn from You're this You're showing mistake. a pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but now obviously being older, understanding that like, just because you've committed a crime, if you were never taught or really had the opportunity to rehabilitate to really like learn from your actions of course you're going to go back you're going to do the same thing and if we're not providing systems that are helping people avoid being in that position in the first place of course they're going to find themselves there so Mm -hmm. we need to change the system so that people do not continue finding them finding themselves in these places and in his case he's like i was going to the store to get food for my kids on my bike Mm -hmm. i got pulled over and now he's in prison yeah. for the same amount of time as a murderer. And he's and never harmed anyone in his life. Thank you so much. Cause that's something that like I wrote down too, because with the ridiculousness of some sentences, right. We're talking like 102 years, like, come on, really? Like you, you should have a cap at some point, but then secondary that like sometimes the oftentimes I'm just going to change that is that you'll see that the sentencing is arbitrary itself hell we've seen that in the news right where people have like committed certain crimes and you're like how many months of probation did you get versus this person who looks a very different way and we all know what that looks like Mm. getting Mm. some sort of sentencing yeah we ain't about it we ain't about it here not on this podcast nope Mm -mm, mm -mm. yeah my my last two no well i guess it's three but just coming back to (laughs) Raphael and like my general love for him we get it you love Raphael. i'm obsessed um no i just like a thought that i had was what keeps him going because he pours so much into everyone around him you can see that right Mm -hmm. and i just wondered like you know like he seems like a genuinely remorseful guy. Like he seems like he genuinely feels bad about what he did mm-hmm. and he doesn't have any opportunity for release. And I'm just thinking like, that would be super demoralizing for me. I would lose hope at that point. So I'm wondering and to myself, like, what is it that that keeps him going every day? It's this basketball team, dude. Like you can just tell, like this isn't his like, this blood to like be a leader and to like really like set an example for other people and he's doing that through coaching which I think is so beautiful oh my Mm -hmm. goodness Mm -hmm. Uh, another beautiful thing uh, that I found in this two more things that are actually beautiful one is the music I don't know if you heard there is a song that played in the background so when that song played Isaac and I literally were like where Shazam like we need to find the song okay freaking out trying to find it online couldn't find it at all because it actually was uh first I found it on YouTube and then 
I found it today on Spotify. Now it's listed under San Quentin Mixtape on Spotify. The artist himself, his name is Maserati E. They're not, they're sourcing all of the content from inmates themselves. That's so dope about this whole documentary. I cannot stress that enough. I was like, yo, I was like, that sounds like, yep, it is. It pans over to this dude singing it. Yo, so dope. Singing in the yard. Yo. With his guitar, like I, in a good song, y'all, it's a good, like, I'm not just saying it. It's a good song okay mm -hmm. and you're gonna hear the clip and you'll be like yeah i'm i actually want to keep listening to this like on exactly because it's that good and and yes like alicia said like a, so much of this material is from the inmates themselves there's only one song i remember playing and that was drake yes. <laughs> and that that was not from this clip or not instrumental if you will mm -hmm. but like yeah i a lot of kudos to the people behind this film because they just did it so well. Like they just did such a good job telling these stories. But my last thing is just about Harry. Like um, when Harry's sharing about like why he's in prison and all of that, I found it interesting because he actually pivots. Um, and, and this is something I noticed with many of the men, right? They, rather than thinking of like, oh, like, yeah, I'm stuck here for life. Like they really started looking for, but this is an opportunity for me. I can grow from this. I can learn mm -hmm. from this. And I think that mindset is so important. And they're really demonstrating that. Harry shares that he's grateful for being at San, Qu San Quentin of all places, because he says like, this is a place where you can learn, where you can rehabilitate, where you can apply these life skills. They're teaching you life skills. He says, they're teaching you these life skills that you can apply to your everyday walk. And I thought to myself, you don't hear that. You just mm -hmm. don't hear that often where people in these positions are saying like, yeah, I'm actually, if I had to be in this position, I'm glad that it's here because at least here I know I'm learning these skills that I can apply. I thought that was shocking. Um, and, I, and I also just thought it was like really, it was great to hear this mindset from him. I don't know. But then I also wanted to know like, what was Harry like when he first arrived to San Quentin? Because I think that's an important part of all of their stories as well because we're catching Harry mm -hmm. towards the end of his time at San Quentin so I would just be curious to know like what was he like when he first got there we learned from Raphael a lot of the guys are like really angry when they first get there so I'm just curious to get a, a fuller picture of their time yeah that's something I was often or yeah I was often reminding myself in terms of like the bias that you're seeing when you're watching this it's like yeah you're seeing these folks that are you know featured in this documentary and everything but at the same time there's like thousands of inmates that are in San Quentin who potentially are having a very negative experience and are potentially having like different experiences based off of I don't know who they're interacting with what they're there for etc and so yeah it's like a it's so interesting because this whole documentary, right, sets itself up as like the sports documentary, but then you're having these moments where you're hearing from Harry, for instance, where it's like grounding you in the sense that like, yo, this prison system is heavy and rough. And these are only a snippet of information that you have based off of like what it could possibly be like mm -hmm. going. This there. is like potentially best case scenario that we're seeing mm -hmm. here, 100%. right? 
because you know like they're not going to be like oh well, let's take the, the toughest inmates and do a documentary about them they had to find people who were willing to be featured they had a and then from the um, filmmaker's perspective you want people who have a story that can be told that people will relate to so everything that we're saying right we have to like you said be mindful of the bias th with which this story is being told but it's still a good story 100 still good which leads us into the third chapter entitled reclaim the man and this for all you sports lovers out there is the motherfucking chapter because then it goes into let's watch these guys play some ball yo like we go from meet the players this is their story to finally the game the big game the day that we've all been waiting for, and in a lot of senses, the day that we've all been waiting for, not just for the sports, but also for Harry, this is a big day as well. John told us exactly how long these seasons tend to run. You know, the season usually runs there. The basketball season in San Quentin usually runs in there from April to when it starts raining. So we know that these guys have been building to this, okay, for months months this yes. is a big deal um and 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 something that i think is really important for this chapter it's again the guy is not just thinking basketball one thing um one of one of the guys said is these guys know us by first and last name basketball did that john talks about this as well on the on the court you know warming up playing they dropped whatever they were doing and they ran up and, you know, shook our hands, gave us hugs, man. The guys before, they were asking, you know, how they been, how's the family and everything, man. It was just, it was just a crazy amount of love that I couldn't, I couldn't even describe. And I still can't describe it to this day. And, you know, I'm getting choked up thinking about it now. Just the, how we were received and the, the perception that I had, I thought it was going to be this tough place. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It is a tough place. But, you know, aside from the actual prison environment, we were just there uh, playing basketball. They came in for a game and they met a friend, okay? This is important. And if you circle back to what I shared in chapter one um, about how like you have someone who really cares about you, you probably start caring about yourself too. That's what's going on for these guys, right? In chapter three, again, it's reiterated. They're coming in. They have people from the outside world coming in year mm -hmm. to year. They know the updates on each other's lives. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And I think it's so dope because like you're thinking, okay, like the mindset of these dudes coming in and like the, like some of the teammates share, you know, that are on the San Quentin Warriors. They're like, yeah, we thought that these people were going to come in all timid and stuff, but they ready to play too. So people are coming in like, you know, we're going to ball and it's, it's going to be whatever, which mm -hmm. I loved because then it just like cuts out all of the politics of like, you know, yes, all what's of the posturing happening. that you might have. Yes. And, you know, like John shares about like how he was entering and what, what he was thinking. You know, playing basketball, you run up the court five or six times and you could play be complaining with complete strangers with and against them. And through the game, a, a hierarchy is established, you know, who's tough, who's uh, the score, you know, who you could pick on, you know, things like that. So for me, it was, uh, I've always been a tough player. So I kind of wanted to exude that and like make my mark. So, you know, my, my game plan was to come out and play super aggressive 
and, you know, show them that I was there for business, you know, but it turns out that I didn't have to do that because it was, it was overwhelming the uh, amount of love that we received. Like, I think, I just think it's so dope that like, at the end of the day, people are just like, I'm here to play basketball. And like, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's get it. And I'm like, as me, an athlete, right? I'm just like, yep, let's get it. Let me watch some ball. Let me like watch them play the sport. Yeah. And I think though, it legitimizes the sport and the team more so when you know, like the guys, the uh, the other team that you're playing against is not there because they pity you. They're not there because they have to be or for work. They're there, number one, because they want to be. And they're there because they want to beat you. Like They're not there. They're not showing up to lose a game. Please. Why would I? Please. So I think it legitimizes the sport, the experience um, for everyone who's involved as well. Now, something that was new to me, I didn't know. I, I don't I don't know sports like that. OK, my friends. So I was unaware. Bear with, that bear with her, please. Bear with her. Please. This is a learning podcast. Let me get there. Yeah. So- <laughs> I didn't know beyond like NBA and WNBA that there were these other leagues, right? I was just about to say, I'm like, you didn't even know there was a G League, huh? Girl, when I was like, oh, so there's a G League. How many other leagues are there? Me thinking like, oh, is there a B, C, D, E, F? (laughs) That makes sense, right? Like that's how letters work. I get it. Yeah. And then I learned that the G League used to be known as the D League, which was development. But then people were like, that hurts our feelings. So they changed because it. Because we to... ain't developing into nothing. Yeah, exactly. So G being, apparently it stands for growth, according to some website that I read. Um, and it's the official minor league of the NBA. So for those of you who are a little sports illiterate, like myself, that's what it means. And it's an opportunity for people who aren't quite ready for the NBA, not just players, but also like front office staff coaches, Mm -hmm. like all of them to develop more, um, and then potentially be ready to step into professional basketball. And I think that's dope because they're also still getting paid for this opportunity. Yes. So that's important. Which I think is so cool because, you know, the culminating game that they're featuring in this is that they're playing people from the front office staff in from the Golden State Warriors they are playing people from the G League and stuff, which is a real opportunity like it's not spitting in the face of these these folks right and you might have an opportunity later on to mm-hmm. potentially get into that field. Mm -hmm. And that's relevant because as we know, Harry ATL Smith, he is the LeBron James of the San Quentin Warriors. Okay. Like this guy does not play. So this is huge. Okay. Like for all of the reasons that we've mentioned, but even more so when we think about people having something to look forward to at the end of their sentences, this is a real opportunity that they can look forward to. Like, this is something that if you're playing for the San Quentin Warriors, you can say not... I'm playing against people from this this staff and potentially mm-hmm. one day when I'm released, I could have the opportunity to try out in front of them and be like a real member of this team. And that's providing job opportunities for people after prison. I think that's beautiful. That's so good to see. And what I love about that, like highlighting the opportunity is that Lieutenant Sam Robinson, he was saying that hope is currency inside of prison. And I was like, and this is giving people hope in order to return to communities, because Mm -hmm. as we shared before, 90% of people who are in, at least in the San Quentin documentary, 90% of inmates return to their community. Mm -hmm. And so it's just saying like, do you want people to come out better or worse? That's on you. And we want people to come out better. And for that, we need to be able to provide opportunities for hope 
for our innates. And yes. this, this is just like a beautiful way to showcase that. Absolutely. 100%. Um, and let me just say, I've never watched the basketball game closer than I watched this one. Like I, I mean, literally, I, <laughs> me on the edge of my seat, like, come on, come on. You can do it. Right. Oh, and what I loved about this game, like you were saying earlier, like people aren't pitying anybody when they're playing, like both sides are getting frustrated, just like you would see in any other basketball game. And so it's just, uh, you have to watch this so that you can see like the, the dynamics and the result of it all. Cause we don't want to like share everything about it, but it's good. It's good. So the last thing that really stood with me, um, it was from Raphael, of course. He just had so many good snippets. Of course um, it was Raphael. <laughs> so one thing that he said is, I, and I can't remember exactly who or what he was saying this in response to, but it really stuck with me. He said, either way, we're doing good work in here. And oh, it was regarding the outcome of the game. Cause we don't, we didn't know how the game was going to turn out. And he says, mm-hmm. you know what? It doesn't matter if we win or if we lose either way, we're doing good work in here. And that's what matters. And I thought, this is so, again, coming back to mindset, like this is something I want to carry with me through life because regardless of what the final outcome is, regardless of the final score, the work that I'm doing in this moment, the work that we're doing in our moment in each individual moment is good work. You're doing good work for people. You're caring for people. You're looking out for people. And that's important. Regardless of the final outcome, if what you were doing step-by-step, day-by-day is good, it's Mm -hmm. all going to be okay. Yeah. And I think what's beautiful about this um, is really highlighting what this experience was for, for John um, as being one, somebody who's involved in this, in this program, before we head off into our um, unpacking, we're just going to leave you with a takeaway that John would like you all to hear. So thank you so much. One major takeaway that I would like to share you know, from my point of view, is that these incarcerated men, you know, are just like us, you know, they're human, all made in God's image, you know, and it it hits home for me because I have, you know, family members that have been in and out of prison, Uh, my best friend, you know, sat down for a while. And, you know, he's just got out last year and just trying to uh, re-enter society and, you know, they're a, a, a forgotten population. You know, they might have made a wrong decision and they might have not even been in their right mind. And, you know, there's consequences for decisions we make, but, you know, we we can't just punish people and forget about them. I see myself going up there playing every spring until I can't walk anymore. All right, we're back, y'all. I mean, wow, just wow, right? Like, I want to make sure that we take the time to tell John thank you so much for introducing us to this documentary and then sharing even more on your insight, your experience that you had working with the basketball ministry that you're a part of. Um, If we haven't stressed it enough, watch this documentary. It's worth it. So please take the time to do that. 
And so um, in case you didn't hear it earlier or haven't looked at the description for this podcast, this um, this documentary is entitled Q-Ball. Um, it's available on Netflix. If you need a password or such, let us know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure something out. Um, but before we dive into what we are personally unpacking, which is usually what this last part of the episode is for, um, Stan Gay and I want to leave you with some statistics so that you all can unpack them yourselves. The United States has the highest incarceration rate in the world, a rate five to 10 times higher than those of countries like Canada, France, and the United Kingdom. A black man is six times more likely to be incarcerated in the United States than a white man is. And the United States is the only democracy in the world that has no independent authority to monitor prison conditions and enforce minimal standards of health and safety. These quotes are from the American Civil Liberties Union. And so we'd like you to unpack that while we share what we're unpacking. All right, Sangay, what you got for us? What are you unpacking today? Okay, so this week I've been really thinking about money. Uh, no surprise there, right? Because it's the holiday season. I'm hey. not going to sing anymore. Hey. Uh, <laughs> I was like, you were singing? <laughs> <laughs> I hate it here. I hate it here. Yeah. So I've been thinking a lot about money and just my relationship to it over time, right? Like growing up, didn't have a lot of it. And as an adult, I have a lot more autonomy over where my money goes and how mm. it is spent. And just thinking a lot about prioritizing how to spend money and not feeling guilt <laughs> about like how and where yeah. my money is spent. It's weird. It's a weird space that I've entered because this is the first time in my adult life, at least, where I've felt as if I have access to where I'm not like, oh, well, if I buy that, it means I can't really eat what I want to eat this week. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I'm now able to make purchasing decisions that don't impact the food that I eat for the next week. Um, so I've, I've just been like sitting with that and like how this relationship has changed over time and what that means for how I continue to use the resources that I have in a responsible way. Um, because I've noticed in myself just the tendency to be like, I have money now. I can spend it on things. Like, I'm not going to think twice about this thing that I want to buy because for so many years, I've had to think twice about when I wanted to buy something. And to now be in a position where I don't have to do that, I'm like, I'm just going to buy it because I can. And I know it's not going to hurt me if I make this decision. Um, so yeah, that's it's just been like a new, almost like a back and forth in my mind of like, yeah. yeah, like not trying to operate from poverty mindset constantly, but also like being realistic with myself and not trying to just like buy things simply because I can, because that's not the way that one operates. Right. So but it's, it's hard, right? Because like, yes, like buying, having the luxury to buy things because you can you know, sometimes it's like, yeah, like, why not? Like, it's okay to have nice things that, oh man, like I've had to, I've had to rethink my relationship with money for a very long time because of that, because, you know, growing up in a low income family, growing up, like having to make, I mean, to make, make or break decisions based off of money is like, is rooted in you. Like it's in your soul, it's in your blood. And it's like so hard to transition off of that and not feel guilty for being like, yo, I'm going to buy something for myself, which I felt guilty about like buying 
burning your leggings. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, and, and that's the root of it, right. Is that like, I, I didn't ever have money for new clothes. And so like buying clothes for myself feels so weird now, but it's, like, it's yeah. And then, and, and like, how do you go from like, for me, I'm, I'm living in extremes. Like there is no middle ground for me. It is either I'm operating in the mindset that if I buy this thing, I will not be able to eat for the next week because I will have taken the money that's designated for food and use it on this. Or mm-hmm. I'm operating in the mindset of buy what you want. Cause you're still going to have money left over. Yeah. There is literally no in between for me. So I'm like trying to get myself closer to the middle right now because I really do find myself being like, Oh, I don't really know if I can afford this. And then someone's like, yes, you can like you, literally you can, yeah. you can afford it. Like stop acting like you can't afford to buy, you know, this one splurge right now. But it's hard because you do need somebody for me, at least I need somebody next to me to like remind me that because I just, it's so very much part of my identity. Like I, like it's, it's, uh, it's so hard to kick that, that, mm. that thing is so mm-hmm. hard to kick one thing that I'm thinking of is how like we don't necessarily uh, have education readily available for people who Mm -hmm. like suddenly come into money. (laughs) It's like you go from one day having no money and like a lot of debt to having very little debt and like Mm -hmm. more money. And then you're suddenly like, I have to learn how to manage all of this, but I've never had to manage this much because I've only ever operated in survival mentality. Right. Like, yeah. I've only operated with, I have this amount of money to last me till my next paycheck. And when I run out, I run out. And that's just new, weird. Yeah, I don't know I mean, how to feel about it. I mean, yes, all those things as well as like beautiful and vulnerable. And yeah, thanks for sharing. Cause I, I mean, that's something that we like both have connected on, you know, over the years. Yeah. When Alicia made me a budget, (laughs) when you were like, all right, let's get this bank account figured out. So you can actually not be broke all the time. Yo, but that was the moment, right. Where I was like, Hey, I'm going to give you permission to feel all the feelings, take your time. Let's talk about it. Cause I did that journey way before you did, you know, and it's, it's, it's love. It's love talking about money. Cause it is a, a hard topic for a lot of folks. And talking about generosity, that was you identifying in identifying an area in which you were more skilled than me and mm-hmm. pouring into me and like being generous with your time and your resources. And you're like, Hey, let me give this to you. Let me help you with this. Like, yeah. this is what I you're, mean, y'all. It doesn't so have to, to be monetary. Like you can just like be like, Oh, I know how to do this. Let me help you. You're so anyway. good to me, dude. And speaking I mean, of you, I know speaking of me, right? So um, it's a interesting transition because I um, talking about generosity. I also think uh, other ways that people show their generosity is in their talent and their creativity. And so I'm going to talk about one of my favorite people in the world, Bad Bunny. Hey, and, let's go. <laughs> and personally to me, Benito, because you know, that is his name, but Bad Bunny released his third album of 2020. That don't make no sense because many of the girls are not even releasing one album in 2020. And Rihanna, we're not even looking at you because you still owe us an album. Okay, so. Yeah, so. Three? Yes. (laughs) Yes. So my guy was just like, let me just pop these out. Right. And so his first album released at pre-pandemic. It was like, you know, people were talking about it, but it wasn't like the thing it is now, right? And so I was like, yo, all right, this is going to get me through it. Bah, 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 all the bad things, I'm going to dance to it. Great. And then real pandemic started. Then he released his second album and I'm like, yo, okay, this is what I need. This is like the pedeo, like I need to like talk about. 
And then he released his third album um, last week. It was actually on the day after Thanksgiving. And so my ass stayed up and I was just waiting and I was like, let's just do it. Let's see what happens. But you find in this third album that he changes his whole entire sound. So like Bad Bunny that we all know that like quirks that like, you know, that that's the music that you do. He like slows it down a lot. He has Ooh, like some rock ballads. Range. Yes. Talk about oh. the range on this individual. Yeah. So, um, and also to highlight that, um, Bad Bunny was like very important to me this year because it like got me through a lot of stages of the pandemic as well as like my hype music generally. Right. But I think what's also important to note is that Bad Bunny was rated the most streamed artist of 2020 on Spotify. My goodness. And so what's really important about that one, I do think, yes, I'm acknowledging the bias that this, (laughs) that this lovely individual has released three albums in 2020. So like the bias of just having shit to just like the value, right? Yeah, exactly. So like genius a B also like, this is a very important note that he is the most streamed person on Spotify because it is the first time somebody who does not sing in English has reached that like notoriety. Yo, that's huge. This homie's only in Spanish, puro espanol, and so and he's number one, and that's just like a. But he's a got like, like some bops. Like that's what I think is so cool. Is like you yes. don't even need to fully understand what he's saying, and you're like, okay, let's go. Like you don't exactly I, half the time. I don't be know what he's saying, and I still like his music. So I know you do. So <laughs> so I just think it's it's like a pride point, right? Like it's super dope to like see to see people from like the Latinx community, like really go off like that. Um, and it's really dope to like, see him just like hit this moment in his career. Um, while yes, like having the acknowledgement of colorism and everything, like it is a step forward and showing like the growing power of Latinx music, the growing power of hopefully in my eyes, like people of color, like coming out and showing their creativity and showing people that like, yo, you ain't going to suppress us anymore. Bye. Hey, let me show you all this money that I can make off of Spotify. And I'm like, yeah, you know, just, I hate to love it. You know what I mean? And honestly, I just feel like regardless of what language you speak, when you're talented, you're talented. Okay. Like the people know talent, like you and I don't need to even understand each other. If you are musically inclined and you create good music, I'm going to dance to it and I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to sing along. So yes. I think like, if anything, it, it truly speaks to his talent that like he reached that, that height. Which yeah, I appreciate beautiful. about you because you know, I'd be out here just like playing bad bunny and you're just like, Oh, okay. I sense talent <laughs> like going along with me. So yeah. What's so I'm, that I sense? <laughs> I need to ask. That. Ooh, tell me. Ask. Have you looked at your Spotify wrapped yet? Or are you one of those people who's going to wait? Oh, I definitely, I was one of those people that looked at it, but then I was not one of those people that was like, I'm going to post it. You know, if somebody was going to ask me, I hope you are going to ask me, like I'll share. So I will ask you. No, not right now though. I I want to know, but I want to wait because I felt disrespected by Spotify that on December 1st, (laughs) how dare they with the audacity to like December 1st, you're going to tell me my year is wrapped. First of all, as a person with a December birthday, you're not yes. going to tell me I'm done for the year because we haven't even hit my birthday yet. And you're about to say, oh, yeah, that's 2020 in a nutshell. Please. My 2020 is still going. OK, I still have music to listen. You don't you don't know how many more 
new artists I may discover between now and December 31st. So let me have yes. this Spotify. Okay. Or you don't know how many more minutes that I can get. And for everybody, December 22nd. But so you know. <laughs> But what I will say is smart on Spotify's part is like people with Apple Music. I've been seeing some friends on Instagram posting. Right? I love the memes. I love it. <laughs> so the Apple Music folks don't necessarily get the same wrapped that uh, us Spotify folks get. And I've seen people complaining about it. And what I also, I had a friend uh, who has Apple Music and he's like, so I share my Apple Music with my dad. So you can see like our top five artists his are like Meg the Stallion, and I think he had Cardi B as one of his top. Yes. And then his dad is all like soul and gospel, right? So he's like, "Dang, I can't even have like I can't have anything. I can't even show you like my true music taste because I share this with my dad." Yeah. So I'm like, "My guy, come to the dark side. Come to Spotify, where we have family accounts that are like what two dollars more than the like regular premium price. I don't even know. I think that's the difference in price. I have no clue, honestly. I haven't even, I haven't even researched into that." <laughs> But what I do know is I have a Spotify premium or family account and you can have like six people on it. So all they need to do is share your address, wink, wink, share your address, which literally means tell your friends your address and split that. Please, my friends, we all deserve to have our own music taste highlighted at the end of the year. Nobody needs to have their shared mm -hmm. with a family member. But make the end of the year the end of the year. So. Make it the end of the year. And and again, back to the point, I think it's smart for Spotify because all these Apple music folks are like, well, I want a Spotify wrapped. And they're going to come on over to Spotify because of that. What we love about this experience, Sangay, is that this podcast is not discriminatory where, you know, if you are on Spotify or you are on Apple music, you can still listen to us. And so Girl, if they're not on either of those, they can still listen to us. You know why? Because they can them. go to our website. You can literally go to our website, y'all, and listen to full-length episodes without downloading another app. Because I know that that's a concern from some folks. I know. And I want to make sure that we're making it accessible. Would you tell them what our website is? Yes, it's itspronouncedpod.com. It's also located in the description of this podcast. So feel free to jump in there to get that hyperlink. Yeah, y'all. So you can you can listen to us in so many different places. Keep doing that. Keep sharing with your friends um, and then keep talking to us. Truly, like, let's make this a conversation. We really want to hear your thoughts. So tweet us or DM us or text us or send us a voice memo. You know, I don't know. Get a hold of us. You know how to do it. It's also linked in the description box. <laughs> If anything, we want to make sure that you know that Sangay really wants you to look in the description box. So I don't know, maybe there's a surprise in there for you. I don't know. Go ahead and look, see if it's there. Made you look. There was nothing there for you. <laughs> well, with that, this has been yet another imperfect production of It's Pronounced Podcast with your favorite chicas, Alicia and Sangay. We love y'all. Bye. Bye.